uh, it's really, really so very, very good to see you all this evening. My, my name is Thomas Flood. Uh, I am serving St. Thomas Aquinas College as its VP for Institutional Advancement, working with Linda Larray and the Institutional Advancement team for just about six weeks. Um, I'm just so thrilled uh, to be here working with and working for President Daly as well and the rest of the stack community. Um, was truly, truly hoping that my first interaction with each of you was gonna be in person uh, at the Hall of Fame event tomorrow night, uh, but, um, which is the actual feast day, right? The actual feast day of St. Thomas is tomorrow. But unfortunately, COVID derailed that plan and out of an abundance of caution, working with Barbara and Jim and the Alumni Association, we thought it'd be prudent to move the Hall of Fame to the spring. So mark your calendars, April 1, please plan to join us and to celebrate our honorees and the anniversary classes. But with that said, we did not want to miss the opportunity to celebrate the feast day of our patron saint. So uh, we had a virtual bingo last night uh, and it was a blast. We had St. Thomas Aquinas trivia, I think all that were involved really, really enjoyed. I mean, Norman showed off his peanut butter. It was, it was really, really a lot of fun. And Sidney Reeves deserves all the credit um, because he took ownership and leadership of that effort. And uh, if you missed it, we'll do it again sometime soon. But tonight, tonight we wanted to share some, some mission moments and hear from administrators, faculty, a board member, young alumni and President Daly on what mission means to them and, and, and all of you. You know, as a newbie, I have lots to learn, including the fine print on my contract that Sister Peggy talked about before. Um, but there's a lot to learn for me and some other newbies uh, about St. Thomas Aquinas, about our collective mission and how we bring mission to life at St. Thomas, sharing it with our family and friends, sharing it with the community and really sharing it with the world. Um, while we simultaneously grow the legacy of St. Thomas and the Dominican sisters who have entrusted this great responsibility to all of us. In a, in a relatively short period of time, colleagues have shared a lot of different books, articles, gave me links to websites um, on St. Thomas and Stacks Rich History. But in truth, in my opinion, it is less about what one reads and more about what one sees. It is mission in action. And, and the lessons you all our teaching go well beyond the classroom, well beyond this campus. And I have to say, I knew more about Stack working in Brooklyn because Sister Peggy is well known everywhere. That's how I knew Stack's mission is known far and wide. Stack certainly enlightens you know, the mind through, through truth, but you also do it through the good that you bring to the world personally, professionally, and philanthropically. So those are my reflections 
after six weeks of being here, but I'm looking forward to hearing the mission moments from our speakers tonight. So let's formally begin our mission moment and learn a little bit more together. Uh, so it's my pleasure to introduce our provost, our vice president for academic affairs and chief mission officer, Dr. Robert Murray, who I might add from a personal perspective, when I first came to this campus, I met a small group of people. Bob was one of them, spent some quality time with me. And it was quite evident that he and the entire academic team at Stack are committed to not only teaching mission, but living it. And I'm proud to say he helped me get through this admissions process here at St. Thomas Aquinas College. And I am now part of the community. So thank you. Thank you, Bob. And please join me in welcoming him. Thank you, uh, Tom, and it's great to have you uh, on board as a colleague uh, in cabinet and also just informally and as part of our, our family. And I think I'm gonna start in a little bit by talking about the words that we collected to create the mission uh, statement when we started doing this two years ago. Uh, and family was one of the words that just came out over and over and over again. Uh, but let me start um, 24 years ago in January, uh, 20, this, this past January, 24 years before that, I was uh, lucky enough to be hired here. I played many roles over that time. And one of them was to be on the search committee of, the, of our speaker tonight, of Dr. Trawick, uh, and I'll more about that later. Uh, but I wanted to start with uh, where our mission started, uh, where, where our work on the mission started. And it kind of started back then, because if you know our mission, I don't know if Sister Sue Dunn is on the screen with us tonight. Uh, Sue was actually the chair of, the cert of that mm -hmm. committee, uh, of the mission committee in the 90s, like 95, maybe 96. Um, and she put that mission together. It's about, if you've ever seen it, it's about a page long. It's four or five paragraphs long impossible to memorize. Uh, and it became something that uh, needed renewing. I mean, it just wasn't that our mission needed renewing. I think the articulation of it needed, needed a refresh. Uh, so that was one. Ever since I came here, I knew the mission was hard. It was hard to know. It was hard, kind of unwieldy. And we got insight into this from Andrew Tartara, who was one of the steering members uh, of the committee, steering members, uh, steering committee members rather. And he's in our athletic administration, just a great guy and an alum. Uh, and he's, I asked him, what was the mission to you when you went here? And he said, I, don't, I never even knew it. So we knew we had a problem to solve, which is to get people to see in, in words, because that's helpful, uh, to, in what it is that we, what we stand for. Another uh, motivation for this was I, Middle States is our accrediting body, the Middle States Association, uh, and we need their accreditation to stay open. It's something we do every 10 years or so. And so I go to conferences. It's one of my, as provost, it's one of the things I do. Uh, and about four years ago at a conference, they had a roundtable for provosts. And the question was, how old is your mission statement? And long story short, ours was the oldest one in the room. Um, and they said, probably a good idea to refresh the mission every five to seven years. So that was uh, item number, number two. And number three really was the moment when we talked to Andrew and he said, you know, I, I, I had no idea what it was. I knew you could feel it in the air, but you could, no one ever put it in words that, he, that meant anything to him. So we sat down and the first thing we knew we had to do was collect words. So in the summer of 20, uh, one of the first uh, jobs uh, that I worked on uh, when President Daly took the helm 
uh, I told him, you know, we want to do a mission refresh, and that became one of uh, one of my work streams. Uh, and I really put a lot of work into that. And then I had another work stream, which was on academic programming. Uh, and it turns out they work together really well. I mean, actually better than I thought they would, because our programming has to be connected to the mission, has to be connected to our identity. So we began with words. I put out a call to all the community for a collection of words that meant who we are. Like when you think of who we are, sort of a word association, what do you think of? And we collected all of these words and they really put them into a word cloud and Professor Belicio helped us do some graphics on it. Uh, and it became a part of our discussion from the summer of 20 all the way through 2020, academic, 20, ac uh, academic year 2021, uh, which most of that time we were closed by the way, right? That was, or, or campus was, was off limits to most people because that was the heart of the COVID, uh, the, the beginning of, of really our, our COVID mitigation policies. Um, and so nonetheless, we, we did all our work online. We collected these words. We, we drafted statements. We sent them. We shared them with the community. We had everyone on campus take a role in this, including students. Uh, and we put together the mission that we have tonight. And I know I, we have a slide of that uh, that we can share. But that's kind of what our process was to start with. In putting this into words, we figured the best place to start was just with simple a collection of these of these words. Uh, and I know Sister Peggy is going to talk about four of these words uh, that are the most meaningful and really that we hinge our efforts on uh, going forward. The challenge isn't to come up with a mission because we all know our mission. I mean, if, if you just talk to anybody on campus, you know it pretty soon after you get hired. Tom knows it already and he's only been here a short time because just the feel of the place exudes that, right? It's what we call the ethos of, of how we live. Our challenge was to put it into into actual into a sentence or so uh, that could be something we could memorize, right? So that when when students come here and they will come here and be go through our orientation in the fall, that's a big part of what we're going to show them. Like, know this this is who you are, and that we're going to have graphics on the walls and so forth. We're doing a lot of rollout work behind the scenes, but we just felt like, how do we capture that and put it into like the essence? Uh, of our identity. Now, of course, it matters to everyone on campus because the end product is, our, is, is the success of our students, but it's helpful in IA. Tom has to go out and raise money so that we can mm -hmm. get the work done. And that's a shorthand that he has to talk with people. When I did, I did a search committee interview today, we're, we're, we're doing some searches for faculty. Um, that's what we talk about. That's who we are. And, and I think you have to be able to understand it as quickly as possible. I'm proud of the work we did. To, to create a brief statement that I think sums up who we are. I'm gonna turn it over now to Sister Peggy, who is, I would say, I would echo Tom. She's known everywhere. Everybody knows Sister Peggy uh, and her friend uh, looming over her shoulder. Uh, Here we are. That's, that's actually, I'll, I'll brag on her a little bit. So Sister Peggy, we do a thing called Stack 101. Many of you know what it is. It's a section, it's a course for all freshmen. And there are 11 sections of it, something like that, 11 or 12 sections. Sister Peggy went to every single section and talked to them about our mission and collected some really great feedback from them, right. which I'm going to digest and share with the community uh, this semester. But I believe your friend joined you on most of these visits. She did. She did. So, so Sister Peggy, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, the I, work you put into this has really been invaluable. Uh, and I um, and I don't know, Linda, are you going to do you have the slide to share of the? Uh, Sydney does. Sydney does. Sydney does. Just Sydney, to put do up. Thing. 
So as Bob said, we collected all of these words, we went through and what we would we would determine to try to come up with just one sentence that would be the mission statement for St. Thomas Aquinas College. So I know Sydney is trying to bring this slide up. Here he goes. And I'm just going to read it to you. This mission statement after almost a year and a half of work was approved by the Board of Trustees back at our June meeting this past June of 2021. So if you want to read along while I read it out loud, St. Thomas Aquinas College seeks to, first word, challenge, guide, and energize each student to realize and create their own path to success and commit themselves to making a profound difference in the world. So if you see those four words, thanks, Sydney, those four words, uh, challenge, guide, energize, and profound. When I met with the freshman classes in the 101 seminar, um, it was presenting this to them. We did a little bit about the background of the Dominican Sisters of Sparkill, the founders of the college, and I'll address that a little bit more in about a minute or two. But I spent a lot of time on those four words, and I asked them, since you have arrived on campus back in early September, how have you been challenged? How has the faculty and the staff, administration, straight down to even maintenance. How have we guided you? How are we energizing you? And I do have a funny response on that one. And then I left the last word profound because as we wrote this statement, our goal is that in four years time, when the student is walking across the stage and being handed their diploma, that they're going to go out into the world and make that profound difference. And it is because of the preparation, the education, the, the full community that they have been part of here at St. Thomas Aquinas College. Some of the responses challenged, like the freshmen coming in this year, challenged just with time management, how to get themselves back into a classroom, Remember the freshmen this year, they spent about 18 months at home attending classes on the screen like we're doing right now. Guiding them uh, each, I, there were so many responses about how the faculty goes beyond themselves to really help them. If they're having a problem in a class that they are invited to come in for extra help. The energizing part, a lot of them talked about their friends, the new friends that they're making here on campus, meeting uh, new faculty and staff. One of the funny responses that I got was they love the coffee on campus. And I was like, what are you talking about? So they told me about the coffee that's served at the Romano Center. And one day that I was here in between classes, I went down and I bought myself a cup of coffee. It's Starbucks. So these kids are really into Starbucks coffee, but how we were energizing them. And then even like going out and making a difference, I said, you know what? You might know what your direction is right now. It could change three, four, five times as you're going through the next four years. But 
Our goal is that when you leave here, that you are well prepared to go out into whatever your chosen profession is. So those are the four words that we have adopted, challenge, guide, energize, and profound. The other piece that we were really, as a steering committee and also a larger committee, we really wanted people to understand that St. Thomas Aquinas College came into existence back in 1952. It was after many discussions, months of discussions among the sisters, the leadership team at the time, uh, who made the decision to found a teacher training college, and that was to educate our own sisters. So this discussion started early in 52. By November, we got the provisional charter that was granted to us by the University of the State of New York's Education Department, and classes began in September 1953, with the first commencement happening in July of 1958. And for those of you who know her, and I know the Dominican sisters are very proud of her, our very own Sister Joan Biesto, who was on staff here at Stack for over 40 years, was the first graduate to walk across the stage and to be handed her diploma. So again, it's, it's something that we as a congregation, I'm just so proud of the Dominican sisters being a member for now 57 years getting my undergraduate degree here, now being on the Board of Trustees. It is such a privilege to have been a part of putting this new mission statement together. So we invite you to take it on our website. If you went onto the website, you would find the entire missions at the not just the mission statement but it's also called the value statement which reads rooted in a tradition of study reflection and service and faithful to our founders the Dominican sisters of Spark Hill St. Thomas Aquinas College believes that education has the power to liberate and transform thank you sister Peggy you're welcome give a, a nice overview of our, of, the, of our process. And I'm glad you brought up the, the value statement as well, because I think liberate and transform are the words that mean a lot to me uh, when I work here. Because I do think, we, we talk a lot, one of President Daly's AAA goals is access. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and I think access to students, giving students uh, access to a, a quality education. Um, and that is something we all do every day. That's the, what I take most seriously. Many of you know, I just spent a lot of time in January meeting with students who were suspended or dismissed. And many of them have stories that are mm. unbelievable stories uh, of, of, the, of uh, change, of, of needing change, of desiring a change in their life, coming from backgrounds that are underprivileged in ways we can't imagine, facing challenges none of us have ever, many of us have, most of us have never faced. Um, and it's our privilege, really, we should be feel privileged to be able to have them on our campus uh, and to give them an opportunity to transform uh, their lives and to be a part of that process. Liberate and Transform is also a nice segue into Dr. Trawick. Uh, Dr. Trawick has spent a lot of his career talking about social justice issues, uh, which uh, some, a, a topic he's very passionate about. As I mentioned earlier, one of the first committees I ever served on was uh, in 1999 when we were looking for a new assistant professor of religious studies. That's when I first met Rob. Since then, Dr. Trawick has gone on to become one of our students' favorite professors. 
uh, as when I was a chair and then as his dean, I had the privilege of reading the student evaluations that they wrote about him and they always pointed out how fascinating his lectures are and how easy they are to follow since he organizes his material very carefully for his students. And that's quite a combination because the material can be challenging, very, very often can be quite challenging. Rob has also been active in other ways, including singing at many faculty talent shows. And I hope we get back to those soon. Uh, working with the Stack Band for many years with his, with his colleague, Dr. Craig Martin. But tonight we've asked him here because of his dedicated scholarship. Dr. Trawick has a special scholarly interest in matters related to social justice and ethics, as I mentioned, and he has written and presented in that field. Most recently, Dr. Trawick is part of a study team for the Presbyterian Church USA that went to Jerusalem in 2019 to engage with local leaders. He worked with that team to create a report that will be presented at this year's at this summer's General Assembly, outlining ways that the church can be in solidarity with Israelis and Palestinians working against the occupation. He also authored a report for the same assembly on the impact of sanctions on civilian populations and recommending support for a, a reappraisal of and greater congressional oversight over the a reappraisal of and greater oversight over the use of sanctions uh, as part of our foreign policy. Tonight, he will talk about our namesake, St. Thomas Aquinas. It's now my pleasure to introduce Dr. Robert Trawick. Thanks, Bob, and thanks for uh, asking me to, to be part of this. Um, I admit that I have trouble with the theology of Thomas Aquinas. He's so medieval. Um, now, to be fair, that's not his fault. He was born about 1224, so he comes by that naturally. Uh, he was a scholastic a school of theology which attempted to find a synthesis between faith and reason and to argue that Christian doctrine was grounded in rationality and that Christian truths were best understood through intellectual endeavor. He did this making liberal use of classical philosophy, particularly Aristotle, and he begins his theology in the observation of the natural world. The senses for Thomas are the beginning of our knowledge both of the physical world around us and of that part of the mind and nature of God that humans are able to comprehend. The world is governed, according to Thomas, by a natural law. And physically, this led Thomas to see physical creation as a masterpiece of order. And Thomas also found this same order, and indeed necessity, in the tenets of morality embraced in Catholic theology. The moral law was not for Thomas an arbitrary human creation, but rather right and wrong were written into the very structure of God's creation itself. And while humans could certainly fail in their ability to correctly identify the moral law, it was nonetheless real, unchanging and knowable, built on God's design for God's creation. Now, to be sure, Thomas left room in his faith for mystery. There would forever be a part of the mind of God, what Thomas called the eternal law, that was beyond our comprehension. But the world in which we lived was eminently understandable, given the proper application of logic. Both in its physical and moral dimensions, our lives were ordered, and we were created with the intellect to comprehend that order and to direct our lives based upon it. So the doctrines of Christianity for Thomas were rational. 
Now, in the generations following the death of Thomas, there were already theological voices that challenged this confidence in a religious faith grounded in reason. Meister Eckhart in Germany taught a faith deeply grounded in mysticism, which viewed with deep suspicion the idea that our relationship with God was primarily rational. For Meister Eckhart, we met God not through the path of our intellect, but rather through the path of our soul. And the mystical union with God, which Eckhart saw as the ultimate goal of our faith lives, was a product of God's initiative, not of our intellectual striving. For theologians like John Duns Scotus and William of Ockham, grounding religious faith and reason was, was folly. That trying to prove religious doctrine misunderstood its nature. There are things that we know through reason, and there are things that we believe through faith. And for them, using the tools of philosophy to probe the doctrines of the Catholic Church was sort of like using the owner's manual of a car to teach animal husbandry. I mean, it was an inappropriate use of a means of inquiry in a field where it had no place and no points of connection. And it was this disassociation of religion from philosophy and science that would largely win the day in the age of enlightenment that was just around the corner. Uh, while many, though not all, the philosophers who came to embody the Enlightenment were Christian in their private lives, their philosophies were decidedly secular. Thomas's attempts to synthesize religion and philosophy really have very few parallels in the continental philosophy of the 17th century and beyond. But the one place where Thomas's confidence in the rationality of Christian thought and practice continued to hold sway course, was in Catholic theology. Thomas's work became foundational for Catholic theology and in many ways continues to be so to this day. And adherence to Thomistic metaphysics, to his understanding of the structure of the universe, often caused Catholicism to remain sidelined by and often in reaction against new intellectual trends. By the 19th century, Pope Pius IX was declaring the Catholic Church to be opposed to modernity in all of its guises and clinging resolutely to Thomistic theology written 600 years before as the definitive vision of reality and the definitive guide to human conduct. And this is for me the dead end of Thomas's legacy. Where the theology of Thomas comes from a place of real intellectual curiosity the dogma that derives from it quickly ossified. The, the at times almost playful speculation of the medieval scholastics, take a look at Peter Abelard's writings, for example, becomes deadly serious with the emphasis on dead. Um, when Rome decided that it was the enemy of theological innovation, and those were the words of Pius X in a 1907 encyclical, we seem to have hit a brick wall, a dead end. So where's the open end of Thomas's legacy? Well, for all of Thomas's identification with Catholic tradition, it's easy to forget that in his own time, Thomas was a bit of a radical and was viewed with deep suspicion by some within the church. 
when the time came for Thomas to join a monastic order, he didn't choose the guardians of Catholic tradition and power. That was the Benedictine order. He choose, chose the new upstart Dominican order, who were known at the time for poking Rome with a stick every now and then. When Thomas chose to champion the work and methods of Aristotle as the foundation for his own theology, he was choosing something new and challenging. Uh, it may seem odd to think of Aristotle as new in the 13th century, but the works of Aristotle had been largely unknown in Europe during the early Middle Ages. The works of Plato were fairly widely available and Aristotle's writings weren't, although his name was known. It was largely through the Arab world that Aristotle's work began making its way into Europe, coincidentally, around the same time that Thomas began his own academic studies with Albertus Magnus at the University of Cologne. And Aristotle differed dramatically from Plato. And theology derived from Aristotle challenged theology derived from Plato. In particular, there's a strain in Plato's work that looks at our physical world with deep suspicion and tends to devalue it in favor of some mystical realm of perfection separate from, from this place. Platonic Christianity, which was the dominant mode of Catholic theology in the early medieval period, has a similar tendency to devalue physical creation. And Thomas challenged that tendency, claiming, as I, as I noted earlier, that all knowledge begins with our senses. He and others like him were in their time theological rebels. Not only were they working against the body-soul dualism of much establishment theology, they were also working from sources borrowed from the Arabic world, which to medieval Christianity reeked of the infidel. It's also worth remembering that Thomas, although he was later canonized, had powerful enemies in the Catholic hierarchy. He did serve as a papal theologian during his lifetime, but he also saw the Bishop of Paris condemn certain teachings of Aristotle as heretical and excommunicate everyone who adhered to them, including Thomas. And three years after Thomas's death, a number of his teachings were also declared heretical by that same archbishop. And it's this aspect of Thomas's work, his attentiveness to new intellectual currents and a willingness to be challenged by them that is the open end of his legacy. In this, his legacy can be seen in other Catholic theologians who've courted trouble with the hierarchy, such as Teilhard de Chardin in the early 20th century, who attempted a synthesis between Catholic theology and evolutionary theory, or Gustavo Gutierrez in the 1960s, who applied some of the insights of Marxist critique to his own liberation theology. These men are not Thomistic in thought, but they may be Thomistic in method using the most up-to-date intellectual developments to inform and deepen their own faith lives. That, I hope, is the legacy of Thomas that we at St. Thomas Aquinas College are heirs to. Thanks for having me, and I'll turn it back over to our moderator. Thank you, Rob. Really, really great. Uh, presentation. Thank you so much. Uh, we will have time at the end, I think, right, Tom, for some questions? Uh, uh, yeah. Yes, we will. 
lot of lot of things to think about there, especially the image of the Dominicans poking the rope, poking Rome with a stick. <laughs> an image that'll last for a long time. Um, but that was really, really terrific. Thank you. Tom, yeah. we'll turn it over to you again. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Uh, thank you to you and Sister Peggy and, and Dr. Trawick for, for taking the time uh, to share reflections and thoughts, history and mission, um, and actually calling and inviting us to, to participate in that legacy, as Dr. Trawick uh, referenced. Um, so now, now it's an opportunity to, to hear from some of our young alums. And we know, we recognize that there are so many people uh, in the STAC community, actually on this Zoom video, that we can engage and ask for mission moments. And perhaps uh, we will do that in future celebrations of the feast day of St. Thomas. But today uh, we're gonna speak to some young alums and uh, before I mentioned uh, Bob Murray and his impact on me, you know, the first time I came to Stack, um, there were two other people that had a great impact on me. Um, and uh, it's uh, Sam Augusta and Annabelle Garcia. Uh, Sam is class of 20, uh, Annabelle is class of 21. I don't even know if they remember, but they took me on this tour. And after I took the tour, I was hoping and praying that this job was gonna be offered to me because I wanted to say immediately yes, because of the impression that these two rising stars shared with me. So uh, it's an honor. Uh, I think we're gonna start with Sam and then we'll go to Annabelle. So Sam, why don't you share your reflections and your thoughts about Stack's mission and its impact on you? Hi, my name is Samuel Gust. Um, I'm a regional counselor here at St. Thomas Aquinas College. Um, I recruit um, New, uh, New from New Jersey. Um, I actually was a, a student here for four years. Um, I majored in psychology and I minored in criminal justice. Um, my favorite thing, honestly, about Stack is that we're a whole big family. Um, I was able to connect with my professors. Um, you know, I see Professor Malillo here, uh, Professor Trawick, uh, those were my, they were my professors. Um, I was able to, you know, have that one-in-one -in -one interaction with not only um, my professors, but the staff. Um, whenever I needed help, um, I was, they were always there for me. Um, community service-wise uh, was a big thing here at Stack as well. Um, I was able to participate in the Midnight Run and help with, um, you know, the less fortunate, especially in New York City. Um, and it was an amazing experience that um, I was in, especially, you know, doing that in my freshman year, going all into my uh, junior year. Unfortunately, my senior year, I couldn't do it due to COVID. Um, but yes, it was, an, it was an amazing experience. Thank you, Sam. Annabelle. Hello everyone, I'm Annabelle Garcia, a current admissions counselor here at SAC. I actually graduated just a few months ago, fresh off graduation, and SAC couldn't get rid of me. During my time here at SAC, I was a resident assistant, a part of student government and various clubs, and that was my service to SAC. I was always there to help the students and be the voice for students as well. I also want to give a big thank you to everyone that paved the way and contributed and has contributed to St. Thomas Aquinas as well. Fantastic, both Annabelle and Sam. Um, what I heard, what I saw uh, is servant leadership uh, by the two of you. Um, 
And it was incredibly powerful. Uh, and your words reinforce that today. It looks, our future looks very, very promising because you are our future, which also leads to our next speaker, Ariel Rodriguez. Now I have not met Ariel, but like Sister Peggy, Ariel is known far and wide because she participated in the uh, President's Scholarship Program last year. And uh, she spoke beautifully on the video that was shared with me. So Ariel, uh, please share your thoughts uh, on mission at Stack. Good evening, everyone. Um, so I just wanna say before I begin, uh, if you put me in front of a classroom, I can teach. If you put me in front of a team, I can definitely coach, but if you put me in front of a crowd of adults, I get really nervous, so bear with me. Um, so now that I got that out of the way, uh, I would like to take the opportunity to say thank you to both President Daly and Linda for considering me as part of tonight's event. I truly appreciate this opportunity to share a little bit about myself um, and my experience here at the college and what it's meant to me. For those of you that do not know me, my name is Ariel Rodriguez and I'm a graduate student here at the college. I graduated last spring from Stack with a bachelor's degree in science and education. Now, couldn't get rid of me. I'm here at the college earning my master's degree in special education and plan to graduate again in this upcoming May. In addition to that, um, I'm a member of the women's field hockey team as well as the women's lacrosse team. I actually just wrapped up my field hockey career here. Uh, I've been given the opportunity to further both of those uh, career paths on a scholarship because of the wonderful donors here at the college. This has helped minimize a financial burden, which has allowed me to focus on solely my athletics and my education instead. Uh, this wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for those people. So thank you again. Um, as a student at Stack for the last five years, I've seen that the school is true to its mission, vision, and values. When I was first looking into colleges, I wanted a school that was affordable, very diverse, and felt like home. Stack happened to be the one that had all three. From the day that I stepped foot on campus for a field hockey tour, I felt like I was already home. I wasn't even on the team yet, but I already felt like I was home. Uh, I was welcomed with open arms by the team. And on my tour, I was able to see how the professors interacted with their students. Their interactions really, really impacted my commitment to uh, coming to the school. So since then, I can happily say that never once did I feel like I was a number in a classroom. And I always emphasize that to my friends who attended bigger schools. Um, I felt like I was actually like a student in the classroom who was able to build those positive relationships with both my professors and with my peers. This really helped me, especially being a student athlete on the campus. In addition to the family-like atmosphere, it transitioned not just on the campus, but also outside of the college campus and into the community. So being that I was on two sports teams, we've had experience going to many different community service events. Um, my favorite was actually the Days for Girls, which was held at the Dominican convent right up the road from the school. It was always a great experience uh, being able to get to know the women that are there and just hear stories and everything and just kind of build those relationships. Um, and then to also help not just others locally, but around the world. 
and then COVID happened. But although this may have affected some of the community service events, I was able to attend uh, a couple stack events, both on and off campus. And I feel that these events help keep the community together, being that obviously some things had to be held virtual like this uh, due to COVID. So I can go on and on and I love to talk. Um, and I can tell you about how much I love Stack and how great this is, but I will wrap it up. Um, so again, I wanna say thank you to Linda and President Daly for tonight's opportunity, as well as to everyone who is here tonight. And I see a couple of my old professors from freshman, sophomore year and so on. Um, so I wanna also say thank you to my professors for giving me the opportunity to receive such a great education which has allowed me to spread my wings and begin uh, working in my career path. So thank you again. Ariel, I, I, I don't know what you're nervous about being in front of a crowd. I, I think you could speak at any event to any crowd of any age. Uh, it was very, very impactful. And uh, what I saw on that video just came to life uh, through this Zoom. So thank you so much. and. Again, as we talk about mission in the classroom, mission in campus or on campus, mission in community, you talked about mission as a scholar athlete. And I think that's really important to stress as a representative that is always visible. So congratulations and thank you. Uh, speaking of always visible, uh, it is now time uh, to hear uh, from someone who is mission-minded uh, all the time. He is determined to encourage us, the stack community, encouraging us to share the mission far and wide. Spread it, <laughs> be generous, spread it far and wide. Um, but before we introduce uh, President Ken Daly, we need to say, Happy birthday to Lori Daly, uh, <laughs> who shares <laughs> who shares her birthday with the feast day of St. Thomas Aquinas. So happy birthday, Lori and Thank President Daly. That was just a reminder for you not to forget. Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday, Lori. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Thomas, thank you so much. I knew tomorrow was the feast of St. Thomas. And I knew it was something else and I was racking my brain. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for the helpful reminder. I'll go out shopping as soon as we're done here. But uh, all kidding aside, wow, what a, what a special event. Another first for Stack, uh, our mission moment. What, what a wonderful evening. So a big thank you, Thomas and Linda, the whole advancement team. How about a shout out for Sydney and mom for coming out to root them on. So big, yeah. big shout out, just a great job. And uh, just a wonderful group of people when I look around uh, of course, our founding Dominican sisters are here with us, uh, my board members, our cabinet, uh, employees, a faculty member. What a wonderful presentation by Dr. Trawick. I certainly learned a lot. Uh, I see our deans on the call tonight, uh, our alumni, alumni board, uh, Samuel and Annabelle. I guess you're alum now. I still look at you as students and employees. You're so wonderful and you gave such uh, awesome remarks. And then of course, uh, Ariel, uh, if I had known she was speaking right before me, I would have asked to go earlier on the agenda. You really hit it out of the ballpark, Ariel. And I think Ariel is so representative of what Stack is all about. True story, a week ago, uh, she had a concern about the future of one of our programs, uh, a program long after she graduates. 
And I don't know about you, but a lot of students may have said, I'll let the next uh, generation handle that. That's after my time here because she's had a good experience. But she actually reached out to me and set up a meeting. And because we're stacked, uh, doesn't matter if you're the president or the safety guard up front, you meet with the students at any time they requested. And when she raised the concern, uh, we reached out immediately to athletic director Ryan, who jumped right in and uh, was able to rem remedy it in very, very short order. So that, to me, is what the mission's all about. Uh, a student who cares enough about the future to take the time to raise it to the president and others, and then to make sure that we uh, addressed it. So Ariel, thank you for your remarks, and thank you for living the mission every day as a student and a member of the stack community. Tom, I'm gonna to keep my remarks very brief because you heard so much. I do wanna get into the discussion part of the program, but what I will say, uh, July 1st, 2020 was my first day after a wonderful transition from my predecessor, Dr. Fitzpatrick. And a lot of people remember that day as the day we started the, the COVID journey. Of course, you know we had to put those protocols in place. I remember for two things. One, it was a day we started our social justice and equity forum right from day one. But as Bob mentioned, it was also the day we started our work on the mission. In fact, Bob and I, five months earlier, before I became president, had that very conversation about it was time, not to change the mission, but to refresh the mission and to ensure that every day we're living the mission. And I think now, 18 months later, when I look back, you know, we're trying to live the mission. The fact that we've named the chief mission officer, who better, and Provost Murray, you know, we're living the mission. We picked the best person to lead us on the journey. The fact that one of our board members and one of our founding Dominican sisters not only helped us write the new mission and led the team, but then took the commitment to heart and went into every one of our freshman class to ensure that we're advancing and living the mission in the future. And of course, Sister Peggy was here with you tonight. So to me, I really believe we are living the mission. We believe in the mission and we're bringing it forward. And when I reflect you know, on my inauguration, it was such a special day in so many ways, but there were two highlights for me, two highlights. Uh, the first highlight actually happened after the inauguration on the walkout, the parade, uh, the coronation, if you will, when all of the Dominican sisters, who I have not been able to meet because of COVID, came out to support me. And for me to be able to look at them and say, thank you, Thank you for your support, not just of me, but over the years, that was the absolute highlight. And then of course we went to the party and that was wonderful, but the real party happened after everyone left and we had the after party with our students. And I don't know what the count was, we, we lost count, 500 maybe students came out, the student athletes dressed in their uniform or their training shirts and every one of them came up to me and the first lady and said, congratulations and thank you. To this day, I don't know if they were there for the inauguration or the free food, but I'm happy either way. They came out and they really lived the mission by being respectful and coming out to support me and, and the college on what was a very, very big day for all of us. Uh, on Tuesday, we're gonna put out a document that talks about our strategy, so I won't get into it now, but I will say one thing, that if you focus on everything, you focus on nothing. And we chose on day one to focus on one aspect of the strategy, and you heard from Bob, that was access to an affordable education. And I really believe that we are living the mission of our founding sisters and of St. Thomas Aquinas himself every day because there's a student on the margin, there's a student at risk, there's a student who can't afford it, there's a student who's perhaps not quite academically prepared to stay in college. And our team is intervening, we're providing the safety net, we're keeping them on track for education, 
and we're keeping them on track for success in their lives. And to me, that's how we live the mission every day. So Thomas and everyone, thank you so much. What a wonderful program. I really do look forward to the discussion and to working closely with all of you. And most importantly, to celebrating the birthday girl <laughs> tomorrow on the feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. Thanks everyone so much. Thank you, President Daly. Uh, so let's take the next uh, few minutes to, to share even more, uh, to ask some questions. And, and we don't have to limit it to just questions. If you wanna share a little bit, uh, we invite you to do so. Um, keep it brief. Um, and I'm gonna ask Linda and James and Sydney and Maria uh, to help us capture those who raise their hand. So if you raise your hand, uh, we'll, we'll call on you. Anybody want to go first? Dr. Robert. Um, hi, thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to listen to this. It's been wonderful. This question is really for Dr. Trawick, and I really enjoyed the lecture on, on Aquinas. Um, in my History 121 class, we talk about the exploitation of the indigenous peoples. And I can't help but bring up that it's people like Antonio de Montesinos and Francisco de Vitoria, who were Dominicans, who spoke out very eloquently uh, against the exploitation. Now, I have no proof of this, and this is what I'm asking you. Do you know if they read you know, um, Aquinas's thought on natural law and human dignity, and if that inspired them to speak out against the injustices that they saw? Thanks. I, I can't speak to whether it inspired them. Um, Thomas's work on social justice is somewhat limited, but they certainly read him. And the one place where it would have, uh, when you look at um, De Las Casas, Bartolome de Las Casas, uh, a significant part of his argument against the mistreatment of indigenous peoples in South America was based on natural law based on the idea that all human beings, no matter what their station, had an inherent dignity before God. So in that way, certainly Thomas would have had an influence on, on that strain of thought, probably indirectly, but yeah, it's there. I, I could add something to that. Uh, the the, the group in, in uh, you know, Hispaniola, Las Casas, and they, they went to the theologians in Salamanca and it really became the first charter of human rights is what the response was. It became, you know, because they, the Dominicans, you know, built on that, the natural law, they built on the human rights response and it really became the first international statement on human rights because they wanted to have a solid basis for their argument. So, so the Dominicans were very much involved on many levels and their theologians and lawyers. Thank you, Sister Margaret. Uh, and that's a, a whole of fame, Mur, speaking to us and giving a, a fine uh, explanation. So thank you so much. Uh, anyone else? I have a question. I would like to hear a little bit about what you're doing with your Center for Social Justice that you've started. President Daly, do you want to take that? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if Samantha is on. If she is, please I feel am. free. Yeah, I said, so how about I'll start just for a minute and then Sam, I'd love to give you the spotlight. 
But, you know, as I said, right on day one, if you go back to July of 2020, certainly COVID was in the forefront, but it was at that same time, there was just so much turmoil that sadly exists until this day in our communities and our students were at home at that point in time. They weren't here with us uh, at school, as, as Dr. Murray mentioned, because of COVID. And they were uh, impacted by it dramatically. They were living it. So we really felt that we had the summer, July and August, to get ourselves ready, you know, as the adults in the room, if you will, to make sure when our students came back, we were a safe haven for them. We were a place where they could learn, uh, they could discuss difficult matters, they could form their own view, and that collectively we could support one another. So I'll let Sam uh, share with the mechanics, but I have to tell you, I have just been so amazed uh, and so appreciative of the team we have, the faculty and staff on one side, but as always, it's the students who carry the day. I go to the meetings and I learn each time. So Sam, do you wanna uh, fill in some of the details? Sure, so when we started um, in July, we really started to just put the structure together for the students to come in and have uh, this platform and resources to start having conversations that a lot of them have never had. And they came from all different backgrounds and had all different points of views. And so they really showed up and showed out uh, at the meetings and were participants in the conversations that we had. Moving forward, when we started to um, really ask them to, to exercise them as students participating and being active and putting together um, their voices and what they wanted to talk about. They really um, stepped up and showed us and told us what they wanted and we were able to provide that. So in the forums that we have through social justice and equity, we were able to have conversations, celebrate backgrounds and really um, give them education, resources, and voices. And then through Justice Studies Institute, we were able to give them academic background and have conversations that surrounded some workshops, some movies, so just some different resources that we were able to really bring back. So some of the events that we've had uh, this last year and this past fall um, surrounded um, certain things like fashion trade and how that all uh, kind of intertwines into not really realizing some of the clothes that we're wearing and where they're coming from and who's working on them and how those people's lives are impacted uh, to um, Black Lives Matter, to voting. And then our students, our very talented students, put together a very successful uh, talent show at the end of last semester where they were able to just show up and support each other. And, um, you know, usually we have to wait on the students a little bit to show up to events, but, uh, we all showed up early to set up and they were already there waiting on us because they were so excited. So they're really excited about the Center for Social Justice. They're already sharing their thoughts and ideas. We do have programming for Black History Month coming up and Women's History Month coming up. And they're giving us so many ideas. We're trying to figure out what we're going to be using. But we do have a set of students on the forum that serve as uh, leaders within the Social Justice and Equity Forum. And then they go back to their peers and share what's going on to attract them back into meetings and conversations. And Samantha knows one of, one of my favorite events was we invited 20 students to come to the Aquinas house, our new campus house uh, for one of our first events. And of the 20 we invited, all 40 of them showed up. It was just amazing to turn out, uh, really fun to get back in person with them. The other thing I would say, the commitment is uh, at the board level. At the first meeting, Janet Charles, uh, one of our trustees represented all of the board members. And then she approached me after the meeting and said, Ken, this is so important. We all need to be involved. So now every board member and every cabinet member on a rotating basis 
participates. It's at the board uh, it's at the board meeting. It's the first agenda item now. At every meeting is an IND moment to make sure that we're again walking the talk as we uh, as we go forward. And Ken, if I might, uh, Sister Margaret, the other half of this just of that uh, so, uh, Center for Social Justice is the Justice Studies Institute, and that's run out of a, a more of the academic side, uh, whereas the Sam Sam's work is with the student life side, and and really is the kind of exposing students to a variety of social justice issues. The Justice Studies Institute uh, this year is doing. Uh, they've been doing. They brought in uh, a number of speakers over the last year, uh, and and uh, mostly via Zoom, uh, including Mondaire Jones, uh, a local politician who's sort of rising uh, in in Washington. Uh, and this year we're doing this semester. They're doing work with Dr. Fraker, Carolyn Fraker, our sociologist, is sort of organizes all of that. Uh, in February, there's going to be a conversation about human rights and U.S. global and U.S. policy in Yemen. Uh, and then there's a series they call Decarcerating Stack. As many of you know, one of the signpost uh, ways in which we en enact our mission is through a, uh, an educational program in Sullivan Prison in Sullivan County, uh, Sullivan Correctional Institute, institu institution. And we have a program there where, where the uh, men in that prison can earn a bachelor's degree in social science. Um, and we are actually creating a program where they can uh, com complete our master's of public administration. Uh, first such program in New York State to have a master's program in a prison. Uh, so it's something we're particularly proud of and our, our faculty initiated that. That really came right through our faculty uh, and had full board support from the very beginning, including Sister Peggy, who was a vocal proponent of that program. Um, and uh, some of the board actually went to our first graduation a couple of years ago up there, which was an incredibly moving experience. Uh, and another one should be coming up once COVID regulations kind of ease. Um, but they're doing a program called Decarcerating Stack, three separate uh, conversations uh, with some invited guests, including our own students, uh, to talk about uh, the problems of incarceration uh, in America. Um, so that's kind of on the on the other side of uh, both of those uh, arms, if you will, of the, of the, of the Center for Social Justice have been have been active um, since their start, since their inception. Well, th thank you for that, and 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 Samantha, thank you very much. Certainly, it's an area that the sisters are very excited to see the growth in that area at the college because it's something that's very close to our hearts and part of our mission. So, we're very proud of that the college is is t taking these steps forward. And thank you to the Dominican sisters for the grant to have an influential speaker come and speak with our students. We are moments away from, um, from, from finalizing who we're going to be having to come to speak to our students, but we really wanted to make sure that we had someone that the students could relate to and also um, the community around us. So we are looking forward to sharing that very soon. So I hope, I hope you'll have that streamed. So are, are you know virtual as well so that our, some of our sisters would be able to to uh, participate and view it. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, sister, stay tuned because Samantha and Linda have been working uh, hard on securing that speaker, and I I won't let I won't I won't divulge the secret at least yet. But I am very very excited uh, if this comes to fruition, and I believe it will. Uh, we have time for one more uh, question or comment. Uh, again, if you could just raise your hand or give us a, a, a wave, uh, we'll call on you. All 
Okay, I see Arlene waving her hand. Um, as I just wanted to say as an adjunct professor of English for about the last maybe eight years or so, I've never felt so embraced by a community, by a college, by my colleagues, the staff. I love, I can't wait to get into the classroom. I, I've re, and, and this beautiful presentation um, really cements the way I felt in my heart, but didn't know until I, I heard all of you speak. Uh, as I put in the chat, Sam was one of my freshman students. And there was something about the, something about his, I can't say his personality, just something about Sam. And I knew that he was headed for wonderful things. And to see him here, and I ran into him in the hallway once, I, I couldn't be prouder of Sam and all my students. It, it's been a pleasure being here. So thank you. Thank you to all of you. Thank you, Eileen. Thanks for sharing. I saw another hand. It, it went down. Uh, so, oh, there you go. Go ahead. Yes, I'm a, I'm a graduate of Stack. 1961. And I have to say that this evening has just made me so proud. Mm -hmm. um, I've been proud of Stack for all these years, but this has just been a wonderful experience. So thank you all to the guest speaker and to President Daly. Good luck in all that you do and to everyone. I'm proud. And you'll get my prayers, lots of them. We, we welcome them. We appreciate them and we all need them. And um, so I, I think it's a great, I think it's a great way to to close uh, this evening. Um, and uh, just a quick final reflection. You know, a, a friend of mine gave me this this sheet about ten years ago, and I've kept it on my desk for every day. And it simply says, "What have I done lately? What can I do today? Uh, what will I do this week?" So I, I think as we reflect on everything we've heard everything that we know and everything that we will learn, uh, let's reposition those questions. Um, and it's a, an invitation, a call to action. So what have I done lately to share the mission and values of St. Thomas Aquinas? Maybe tomorrow you can ask, what can I do to honor our patron and our Dominican sisters who have given us this rich legacy? And lastly, what will I do in the coming week and month to share a little more stack with others? And the final reflection is really from Sister Peggy. Challenge, guide, energize, and be profound in bringing your authentic voice and stack mission to all. So thank you so much for joining us this evening. We certainly hope to be doing this if not annually, regularly, and we'll invite others to share their mission moments and reflections in the future. Have a wonderful night and have a wonderful feast day. Good night.